podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's and Anfield Index. I'm Jim Boardman and I'm with Jay Reid and we're going to just have a look at what's happened in the last week or so with Liverpool FC, what's coming up with Liverpool FC and um, thankfully thankfully, the season's now underway and of course we're talking about football stuff. It's well underway now I would say, um, two games in and we've had... Well, we've had a draw, we've had a win, so hopefully we're not going to follow that with the other type of result you get in the game. But um, yeah, so far so good, Jay. Two games in. Um, quick thoughts: Are you um, are we are we ahead of where you thought we'd be by now, or about where you thought we'd be? Um, we're probably par for the course. Weekend results depending at Newcastle. Um, I. I would have been happy with 10 points from the first four games. Yeah. So uh, we've obviously got Newcastle away and Villa at home before this nonsense of an international break four games into the season. But if we'd have got 10 points, or we we get 10 points, sorry, from them four games, however way we do it, um, I'd have been more than happy with that. Now, obviously, you know, you, you take for granted, hopefully, home victories, in which we got at the weekend, and then one against Villa to come would be lovely and then a victory on the road either be at Chelsea or Newcastle and a draw and the other one now we've in my eyes we've used a draw card so no yeah. pressure Reds uh, three points at the weekend at St James's um, and I think we would have no qualms with accepting that as a as a return from four games I think you know that's maybe an optimistic view like the, probably the more pessimistic view would probably be we'll try and take eight and take two draws um, from the away trips given the calibre of the teams now Newcastle have uh, bundled the way into the, the top echelon clubs one way or the other um, but I would like to think we've still got more than them on the pitch in 11 versus 11 and we can go there and get a positive result this, year, uh, this weekend Yeah you also don't yeah um, I mean last weekend I mean I think we, we sort of said before we we shouldn't be talking about referees as much as we are but I thought let's let's talk about that from last weekend because I don't think you can not talk about it I mean in the last show we had a quick look who was the ref going to be we realised where he was from and you know we said from that that whether it's a bad ref or a, or an impartial ref it doesn't really matter because the impression you get from a ref who doesn't do well if they've got something against him that you, you would say well why is he refereeing a Liverpool game or why is he refereeing that game it instantly causes that connection to come up and it draws more attention to it. Thomas Bramall from Sheffield, um, don't know much about him except for now we'll never forget his name because he sent off Alexis McAllister for what was... Um, I don't think I heard a single pundit 
in any sort of coverage I read or looked at or clips I saw or anything who said it was a red card. Um, some weren't even saying it was even a yellow. You know, that was the only doubt was, was it a yellow or not? Um, and that was kind of the only argument that, that was going to be had about it. But then, so there was him as the ref with that decision. Now, trying to be nice about it, refs make mistakes. Luckily, these days, we've got VAR. So someone in a box somewhere in London can go and have a look at the clips, play it back and say to the ref, either you got it wrong or go and have another look. Well, the guy in charge of that this weekend was Paul Tierney from Greater Manchester. So again, um, what's he doing in, in front of one of our games? We've got a history with him anyway. Um, bad idea. And his assistant out of interest was Constantine has I can't say his name now. Has I think. Who's the guy that um that um showed Andy Robertson a close up of his elbow that time a few months ago. Um neither of them came up with a decision between them to say to the ref go and have another look. The referee's boss, the PGMO PGMOL boss these days, Howard Webb, um from Rotherham, former police officer officer for South Yorkshire Police. Didn't hear a word from him about it at the weekend, and I haven't heard anything about it since from him, unless I've missed it, since the FA said um, an independent regulatory commission went and had a look, overturned it, and he's no longer suspended. Um, meanwhile, um, Hazard, Hazard, I'll say it again, Hazard <laughs> is, is going to be the um, assistant VAR again for our game at the weekend. Now, I still think they need to do something about... Um, sort of bias potentials if you like sort of accusations of bias by you know stopping putting referees into games where there's some sort of link between their hometown or you know any other background that you can think of like that that puts them you know it sort of doesn't doesn't work with where the the teams are managing so uh, teams are officiating over straight away you don't want anyone from Manchester or Sheffield I would say looking at uh, being involved in a Liverpool game, just like I don't think anyone from Manchester would want, you know, a scouse born and bred ref doing one of their games. It's just, it's just how it is. You just, it just seems so obvious. But even without that, what on earth is going on in the game? Why are we still talking about them? And um, is it not time that football stood up? Because the Premier League and the FA and the Football League are all sort of joint owners of the PGMOL now. There's no competition for them. They, they they get to do all this lovely work as referees and being officials, get paid a fortune for it, no doubt. And there's no sort of come, no sort of comeback. There's no sort of punishment that we're aware of. No sort of, you know, lessons learned or anything. Um, I mean, it was bad enough watching it. I'm sure for anyone watching it around the world, but in the ground, I mean, <laughs> I mean the only thing you've got in your favour when you're in the ground is that you don't get to see a replay. Um, I can imagine. You know, this is one of those situations, isn't it? You see it in the ground, you're not sure. Maybe maybe it's worse than it looks on from the stands. You go home or you see a clip of it on your phone and what do you think? What is going on? Um, I just don't understand it anymore. Yeah, that was odd, to say the least, that decision. Um, and as you reference, you know, if, if all the pundits and even, you know, the most sit-on-the-fence referee or ex-referee Mr David Gallagher yeah. on his little ref watch thing on, on a Monday morning on Sky was saying it's not a red, then, you know, it is not a red, clearly. Um, you know, surprisingly, something that I've said many a time, and I keep banging the drum, you know, VAR shouldn't be referees. It should be an independent panel um, who have no sort of connection to the games week by week. So, you know, that referee last week, Mr. Bramall, 
will probably referee this weekend or be on VAR usually somewhere around the country for the game if a decision comes up that he has to make similar to that maybe of a worse sort of connection you know like the, the initial thought was you know it's a studs up challenge he's gone into doing in quotation marks and that might be what he thought he's seen then you know as you referenced there's an, an idea there that you know, you go and have a look at the screen and you might reconvene your idea and think, well, maybe I've got that one wrong. You know, maybe it wasn't clear and obvious to him. Or if you go and have a look at the screen, which is what it's there for, it might have been clear that it was the wrong decision and obviously you've made the wrong decision. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, it speaks volumes that independent panel, no idea who this independent panel were, found, you know, the, the offence to be not a red card. So why can't an independent panel oversee VAR every week? I've said it, you know, numerous times. I always, I watch American football and any sort of, any touchdown goes to a, a video review. Any sort of, you know, contentious decision can be sent to a video review. Coaches have even got the ability to throw a red flag on the field and challenge a decision. And it can be video reviewed, and that's reviewed externally in an office in New York. Or yeah. the referee on the field can also go to a monitor and oversee it. You know, and that referee goes to a monitor, usually gets like put into like a little sort of like pop up tent and has a look at it, sort of in his own privacy, away from, you know, coaches banging down his ear and whatever. But they have an independent panel that oversee all video replays and decisions within their game. Why can't we have it? It's It's not too much to ask for. And then when it comes to, you know, referees of certain location being involved in certain games, and again, I think we've referenced this in the past, why is it not referees from other parts of the country coming through the system? There's got to be referees from, you know, Somerset or, you know, Gloucestershire, you know, Herefordshire, you know, Merseyside himself. I've got an FA. There must be referees within our system who can come through and partake in refereeing games, they can't be any worse, surely not, because, you know, the ones we've got there at the moment, there's a few new ones, like that Thomas Brown was a new name to me, and yeah. there's, I think this weekend, a fella called Sutton Brooks, I think he was around last year, uh, John Brooks, I think his name is, mm. you know, they, they, they're coming through the system, but they always seem to be stemming from the, roughly the same like areas of the country in the same FAs have they sort of got a little loophole where they get through like it just baffles me how there's not more referees from different sorts of counties around the country different areas because you know there's issues with Manchester and there's issues with Sheffield with Liverpool especially and Merseyside clubs you know there is another club in the city apparently um you know oh, yeah. and they might have issues with with referees from from Greater Manchester or whatever but you know Surely there's there's referees that are based in other parts of the country that could be involved in the game. It it's baffling how we always seem to send up end up with the same one and how this, this Greek fella is assisting VAR when he was, <laughs> you know, launching his elbow about like he was waving the flag on the pitch into Andy Rowell's face, but then he gets the same gig two weeks in a row. You know, he was part of the team that got the decision wrong if he was the assistant bar last week. Yeah. He shouldn't be given Liverpool this week. It's it's scandalous how he is, and you know it, it does strike the question of corruption. Um, 
you don't want to say it, but there seems to be a lot of fishiness going on, especially with the officials. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Bramall has got the gig. He's doing the fourth official role for Arsenal, Fulham. I don't know if he's doing any any others. Um, no, that looks like all he's got this week. So he's not even got like, he's just got like um, a slight demotion. It's almost like a week, you know, a bit of a rest rather than a proper punishment, isn't it? He, he got that so badly wrong. Um, and, and ironically, he's the fourth official in the Arsenal game being refereed by Mr. Tierney from Greater Manchester. So... Um, you know, Mr. Tierney's not only got got um, got away with being an awful VAR last weekend; he's um, been rewarded in a way by getting um, getting to be the main man in a big game. Um, it is a three o'clock kickoff, so maybe that's his his punishment. But he's also the VAR for Chelsea's game on Friday against Luton, which is on TV. So you know he's not been cut out of it whatsoever, and um, it, it just I just don't think. I don't know whether it's arrogance or what, because like one thing that, that struck me then when you were just talking about other sports, like I mean, tennis is another one that comes to mind. The participants get to say, um, and, and cricket, I think, is the same. There's loads of other sports where part- participants, whether it's players, captains, managers, whatever, can get onto the umpire, referee, whatever the officials are called, and say that was wrong. Can you have another look? And they will. They'll have another look. Now there might be limits on how many times they can do that, and you know they might end up wasting one of the calls. Um, or not using a call when they should have done that becomes another little facet to the game and to the tactics but when you've got a situation like that there's no way on earth that um, if Jurgen Klopp was allowed to say have another look that he wouldn't have said have another look I mean that was a big enough decision big enough moment that you would and I just think with red cards the impact of a red card is crazy Um, it's not just on the day it's what comes afterwards so yeah you can go and appeal and if you get away with you know you your appeal's upheld, which is very rare these days because the FA don't want to be seen as having referees who make mistakes, then three-game ban. But even if you do appeal and you get away with the three-game ban, you've still lost a player and it could have made a massive difference. And that, that to me, is again, it's we, we could be looking. We could be looking there and then it takes a few minutes. We're already in a season where we're happy to add time on for everything, happy to book players. I mean, Trent got booked for... For, for a throw in the other day for taking slightly too long and my god if that's going to be a new rule this season I'm looking forward to how many times we have players on teams against us who've still got 10 on the left uh, left by the end of it um, but even so you get your you get your refs to, to to sort of admit that they can make mistakes you know just to sort of be honest and say look I'm human I'm not some machine even though they act like it and let us have a look and as you've just said even Dermot Gallagher knew it was wrong um, how I'm just wondering whether Paul Tierney was even looking, you know, um, and if he was, again, something we've said before, where's the explanation? You know, people make mistakes. Come and say sorry. Explain what happened. What was it? Was there an issue with tech at the time? Could you not rewind it properly? Um, you know, what Tierney's basically saying is if I'd have been the ref that day, I'd have sent him off too. So there's two people in the whole world who think it was a red. Yeah, and I... We're not asking for microphones to be shoved in front of referees straight after games, you know. You, you see that with coaches and players and you get emotional reactions because yeah. it's an emotional game and, you know, you, you've seen the best and worst of, of our own Jürgen Klopp in, in in post-match interviews, you know, like four or five, six minutes after the, after the game, you know, and he's a highly emotive fella and he might say things, you know, tongue-in-cheek out of jest or whatever. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, but you know, the referee has got 
time to digest. And you see there's a post-match press conference, isn't there, which roughly is an hour or so yeah. after the game's, the game's finished, where, like, you know, the... The, the written journals tend to sort of, you know, sit down with the uh, the manager from from both teams and get sort of a, a written column as such from them. You know, a more more guided view, not like a highly emotive. I've just come out of the game and where you know managers have been able to go and look at a key instance and probably say, ah, you know what, I thought it was on ball at the time, and after the game, I was convinced it was on ball. Now I've seen seen it back on TV. Yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't. For example, why can't referees just come out and sort of do that or even if they release the statements you know based on, on on key decisions and say like you know what at the time I thought it was a red but after, after seeing it back I should have been you know guided to the screen and I got it wrong but you won't do that because as we've said before it's you know it's it's a protective club it's like the little boys club they can they can't go and snitch on the mates because you know they'll, they'll be called a rat well well, you get you get called all sorts by forty, fifty, sixty thousand fans in the crowd. What's what's one more voice going to do to it? But it all seems like it's you know I'm not going to stitch him up because then I won't get a good gig next week. Or if I if I make a mistake, you know the punishment is I might have to go and referee Rotherham versus Walsall or something like that for a week in the Championship or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I'll be back, or I'll go and do VAR for a couple of weeks, let it blow over, let someone else make a mistake, and then I'll be back and. You'd only ask them for a mistake to be answered for. Like they are human, they will make mistakes. We understand. All we want is maybe an admittance of you might have made a mistake and consistency across the board. Because there's decisions in the last two weeks, you know, week to week, that have been very similar and handled in very different ways. You know, you think of the. Uh, Andre Anana won for United when he come out and clattered the Wolves defender, uh, the Wolves attacker. You know, high ball into the box. You know that that was that was a rugby tackle. He body checked him in mid air yeah. and, and took the fella out. And there was two officials on that day that decided that no foul took place. Yet, you know, a fifty-fifty on the ground, foot to foot, in step to in step with uh, Alexis McAllister and I, I couldn't remember the, the, the fellow's name he, he unfortunately challenged um, you know that, that deemed a red card by two other fellas it, it just doesn't add up all we're asking for is consistency and if the wrong decisions were being made but it was consistently you know that was always the way you know you were getting sent off for that then you know at least people knew where they stood in, in what sorts of challenges they can make but it, it, it's it's baffling because we are going into this weekend and there'll be challenges much worse than that that probably will even go unpunished, you know. Anthony Taylor, for example, decided that a Chelsea player could kick Kanata in the chest and that was only worthy of a yellow. Yeah. You know, it, it it's 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 mind boggling how it how it works and I don't know. I, I don't know how you solve it because they don't seem to want to look at the easy option and how to solve things, so it's it continues to rumble on, and we've got thirty-six more game weeks of this to go. <laughs> yeah, and then there's all the um, all all the sort of domestic cup games as well. I mean, to be fair, at least in European games, you tend to get you get some like crazy referees at times. But I don't know; they just seem, generally speaking, they seem to be okay at the jobs a lot of the time. Don't say that to Everton fans, though. And you mentioned a certain Italian referee; they still uh, 
they still don't like Mr. Kalina, do they? But, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's just, it is, it's, it's a shame, I mean, as well, because once again, we, we actually said last week, I hope we're not talking about the ref, and next thing you know, we're talking about the ref, and maybe maybe we're, we're feeding them a bit in that way. I mean, I just... I just don't get it. I really don't. I think um, the Premier League, who are part owners of the PGMOL, should be saying, look, this is not good enough. If they were getting, you know, if they were paying an outside company to do anything else and it was this bad, they'd be looking at, like, can we get out of this contract? Can we get someone else in? Can we get money back? Um, they just would not be paying the full amount of money because they're not getting what they should be paying for, unless unless this is part of the plan that it makes it all more exciting, that you know keeps it, keeps us all talking about it, keeps it in the papers, keeps it in everyone's minds. But I don't think it is. But the the one thing I will say though, I mean, and it, it was a mixed game, wasn't it? Three one. You can't complain about the result, but you might complain about the root of the result. The one thing I'll say that was good about it was that I think Liverpool reacted well to it because, um, you know, we could have it could have gone any way. Um, and I've seen it before with Liverpool where you just sort of have one bad thing happen and then the rest of the game go, doesn't go great. And I even said that about the Chelsea game that we reacted to the disallowed goal that by sort of just switching off almost. Um, we can talk about, you know, let's talk about first about how we got into this situation. Um, the reaction later on, the sending off was great and got us the three points maybe or made sure we got them. But to start with, we were starting to worry, like the the memories of last season's game against these was gone. It was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it was, it was the first like 15, 20 minutes or something like that. It was like, like, like we hadn't turned up. It was all. It was almost like watching. Like I told you, respect the lads who play it. Like Sunday league football. You know, like you keep a brushing out and overplaying the ball, and then like a, a dozy tackle. Um, you know, getting himself booked could have. You know, on another day potentially been a red, but I think it was the case that we did have a couple of times coming back. You know, a ball over the top very early on. I think it was a minute and a half into the game, and and Trent's just not switched on. Lad runs in behind him and whatever, and you know it, it was. It was offside, just but you know you, you could have been in effect two 0 down after about six minutes. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and it, for, for for the moment in in the ground, there was that feeling of like, what the hell is going on here? But it was the first home game, you know, like the, the optimism is still running really high. You know, the, there was a couple of new lads in there, and it was a case of like, you know what, brush it off. Like maybe it was like you know first home game nerves or whatever um, you know and just a bit of like nervous tension and people were sort of over anxious and whatever but the crowd stayed with them and that's one thing that you can you know tend to say about Liverpool fans is we, they'll stick with the team like, and, and try and get them through it one way or the other and and the, and, and the support was good and um, we did, we figured it out you could see once we sort of settled down after those 15, 20 minutes, we, we got the ball on the ground, we started playing, we started to show our quality. Um, and, you know, the results seen itself right in the end. I think we, we did need that that third goal from Jota, um, you know, just, just to sort of give ourselves a little bit of breathing space, especially when we were down to 10 men at that point. But it wasn't the foregone conclusion that I think we we both sort of hoped for last week when we said like you know we just wanted a clean sheet and a nice straightforward win and a few goals. Um, Liverpool don't do things the easy way, but but here we are and and I think if you were 
part of the you know the coaching team and Klopp and whatever you probably give the lads a couple of days off and got back in on on Tuesday morning and said right you know what it's three points on the board there's a lot to learn there's a lot of positives also so you know it, it's early days and the positive signs were that you know we've got a lad in the number eight shirt who sort of had reminiscent sort of plays of a previous fellow who used to wear the number eight shirt with an armband on his arm from Liverpool but not putting too much pressure on him but the player who previously wore the number eight shirt in Naby Keita <laughs> as good a player as he was he never ever looked that strong and powerful on the ball um, and I think we've got ourselves not to steal for 60 million in Sabozlai I think I've not been in work last few weeks, but I was dying to see a couple of the United fans, and I was going to offer them a nice, a nice little wager and say, "Right, well, we've paid sixty for like and you've paid sixty for Mason Mount. How much do you want to put on who will get the most goals and assists this season?" Because I'm very confident um, in Sabozlai doing this. I had it a couple of years ago with one of the Blues when we signed Luis Diaz. I said, "You can have Belly Ali and Donny Van der Beek versus Luis Diaz, January to the end of the season. Who gets the most goals and assists?" and that one went very strongly in my favour, but I don't think I'll even get a wager from them when we go back to work next week because me and Mason Mount's out now <laughs> for two weeks and, and Sabozlai's got a clear head start on them. But it, it's nice to see that a summer sign come in and look. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. You know, look the business, look look ready, look like he he, he belongs in the red shirt and, and, and in that number eight shirt, as we said before, with numbers, is is, is a heavy shirt to wear at the time. Sometimes it's too heavy for too, some people, but he looks like he's got the... The capabilities to uh, to do Mr. Gerard very proud. Yeah, and I think um, the comparison with Diaz, the thing that hits me on that one is um, the thing we were saying about Diaz from the off was, my God, he's, he's come straight into the team and he's playing like he's been in this team for years. Like he's not, he's not, he doesn't need time to settle in. He doesn't need time to get to know who his teammates are. He's like he's just instantly useful to us, like in a in a in a really really great way. So. Um, and that is one of the worries when you sign new players. How long are they going to take to get up to speed? To get, um, not. I mean, we've talked loads about Robertson taking ages to actually make his first appearance for the club and things like that because he needed to get up to speed physically. But it's not just that. Even if you're up to speed physically, it's just having that right mentality and having the right attitude. And um, there was there was talk from from him after the game about how he was. Um, they were sort of asking, "How did you manage to get better after?" Um, going down to 10 men and he was just talking about um, you know we're a team um, he called him Maka you know uh, we'd lost him and we, we wanted to do it for him and that team spirit already is in there with him um, which again is another positive everything everything I've seen 
really about him as a positive, if anything, other than a couple of times when maybe um, he could have made a slightly different decision. But if you're going to compare him to Steven Gerrard, which is way early for that, you, you, there's plenty of games where Gerrard made the wrong decision. You know, um, The thing is, is that it's what you do overall. And if overall you're making the right decisions and the right moves and the right passes, he's got, he just seems to have everything in his locker, doesn't he? And, and that, that is I mean, it's such a positive. And the other positive, in a way, is that... Um, Although we didn't see more as as much of McAllister as we should have done, thanks to the ref, um, the next time we see him play, which could be this this weekend against Newcastle, we should be able to see him more more in a role, hopefully, of what we'd expect him to to play. Because I think we said last week that the, the lineup against Chelsea would have been a great lineup against Bournemouth because it was quite an attacking one, and maybe we need a bit more resilience against Newcastle than we did against Bournemouth. Although. We nearly showed we needed more resilience against Bournemouth. Um, McAllister's got the chance there this weekend to show what he can do more in a more more of a position where you'd kind of expect him to play. Yeah, um, Hendo with the silence each. Yeah. Come on, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and I think for the first five ten minutes he looked lost as, as he would. You know, he's, he's probably been in the city less than forty eight hours or whatever. <laughs> um, probably had a training session or two. And you know the the McAllister red card come at a time when he was he was just chilling on the bench. He was probably going to go out and do himself a little warm up, and I think the plan probably would have been for him to get fifteen twenty minutes just yeah. to acclimatise himself with with the surroundings. But he was he was dropped in the deep end, um, and yeah, he 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 settled, um, and you know I think from all all the reports about what this player was. In Germany, you know, tidy on the ball, uh, not scared of a challenge. You know, like like to, you know, keep it simple. Will will roll forward if if he's given the opportunity, and he did a couple of times. Um, and I think that this week will do him the world of good in terms of you know, settling in, getting to know his teammates. He was probably didn't know what to call anyone. You know, in terms of how to pass for, pass for the ball to be passed yeah. to him or whatever. He's probably just like standing there with his arms out, um, and. I think, like you know, if he, if he's been brought in as a utility piece that will give you a six, seven out of ten every week and be you know a solid performer, I think Cloth referenced him as a you know a, a Milner sort of replacement, and the Milner we got from Man City was that he was you know you, you could put him in, you get a solid performance out of him, not too flashy, um, but it would just be you know what do people call it, you know the water carriers or whatever, just to get you yeah. through the game and. That could yeah allow Alexis to to do his his playing ten fifteen yards further up because it was there was again there was signs from him like we seen against Chelsea you know he, he can see a pass um, and the forward players will only improve from that and one of them players who has come in for a bit of slack is is Gapo because he's he's been asked to play in a position that's not natural to him you know like he. He yes, he does drop deep if he plays in a nine, but he drops deep and picks up the ball and carries it. But he's being given the ball in positions and asked to then take it, and I don't think it's ever so natural to him. And obviously the defensive side of the game, um, which we require from our midfielders, is not natural to him. And he, he sort of has been hung out to dry and looked like a, a boy lost in in the two games that we've seen so far. So you know it'll do him a world of good if he's hopefully released to play a bit further forward and and gives us another attacking option 
because you know that that's where we're most strongest at the moment. And yeah, Alexis being allowed to play forward in the in the field and Zubaz like being allowed to you know replicate what he done and probably more um, because you know anyone who watched the clips of him seeing how many goals he struck from distance and he's, he's got a, a rocket of a shot on him and that's how the third goal came at the weekend he was he was willing to take on the shot and that's something that has been a little bugbear of mine ever since Coutinho left that we'll we'll get ourselves into really good positions and play the extra pass I yeah. think just just let one go yeah. like just just try this keeper because you, you never quite know um, and if you've got players of instinct like Jota you know running in and following in on things then you know if the old saying: If you don't buy a ticket, you don't win the raffle. You know, you, you've got to you've got to gamble on these things, and I think that could be, you know, a potential leader to go this season where we are trying long range shots. Some of them might go in, but some of them might just lead to spills, and and you get tappings. And you know, as long as a goal comes and the ball ends up in the back of this, we don't tend to really care what happens as fans. No, and that's the thing is. Um... You you have the effort. You may you have the chance if you if you think it's pretty nailed on that passing to another player who's in a decent position is going to work and that you're not going to get the ball cut out or they're not going to be just just instantly in no better position than you were when you had the chance. You know, have a go, have a go. Like you say, goalies can't always catch the ball. <clears throat> if you hit it right, it's going to ricochet somewhere. Um, you might get a corner. You might get a you might get the ball to come back to you. You might get a deflection into the goal. What you'll do is you'll create some chaos in the box, which, as you say, at times it feels like we are just that little bit too patient. Because for a team that's so sort of dynamic and it, you know, so frightening, you know, when we're at our best and we're sort of going out all guns blazing at teams, we can be so frightening in the build-up play at least, and then it kind of all fizzles out because it's just that almost like a bit more ticky-tacker till we actually get round to having a go and then by then they've they've sort of regrouped and um and the the effort that we have ends up being um a half-hearted weak off-target long-range effort that that was never going to go in and you know and it's just frustration and it just breeds more frustration in the crowd as well when that kind of stuff happens because you think you know there was a chance there on a plate to have a go might not have been a clear-cut chance yet have a go um and that's what we need. And we want players who are instinctive at that as well, because I think when they've got the instinct, they can tell the difference between, you know, if it's a 50-50 one, which way to go on that 50-50, whether it's another pass or having a go, um, and just causing that chaos. And you're right as well, Gakpo. It, I, I also feel sorry for him because he's going to get loads of like low marks and people are going to start cursing him and stuff because it's not him. He's, he's doing really well at a job that he doesn't do rather than him being... But at the, sorry, and at the same time, he's doing not well enough at the job we need someone to do. So this is the sort of dilemma, and it's a shame for him that he's he's been put in this position. But the thing is, he, he'll put the shirt on, he'll do the job he's asked to do, and and he'll do it well. The other the other thing about having a a defensive midfielder, who'd have thought that's what we needed? I mean, great, but you know the situation with Trent early on, you wonder, you know, he's playing. We've got Bournemouth. We're thinking, right? We can beat these. Um, you, you expect to see Trent play more advanced, but what you need is someone who's just uh, just keeping an eye on things, if you like, and and just just helping that sort of having an eye on the defence, even though all eyes are kind of on attack. And it's just that this is what we've missed. And I just hope Endo is the one that can do it. But my biggest worry is that you know we're going to be relying on one player who might not be good enough to do it all the time. Like you said, when Milner was brought in the job he did, we didn't expect Milner to play every game 
um, and do every, you know do that job every week necessarily. He was brought in as one of one of a number of players who could do that. Um, the other the other big thing that's been said as well is um, what's happened to Darwin. You know, Darwin's not getting a start. I mean, for me, um, there's nothing particularly. I mean, I would have said go again with the same team on Saturday probably because you know give them another go see what they can do and and given given the result and the way they played I wouldn't say Darwin can have too many complaints about not getting on because I feel the front three did enough in that game to to warrant keeping the place um just one of those things isn't it there's there's more players than we've got positions free um you've just got to wait your chance haven't you um I don't know why people are getting so uptight about Darwin it's at the front, we've got a Richmond, uh, an embarrassment to riches. Further back, maybe not. You know, it's good that Darwin is sat there waiting for his chance, and hopefully, when he gets it, he'll be so hungry. Yeah, and I think you know we're playing a game a week. You know, this week and then next week when we play Villa, and then there's that, as we mentioned before, the international break, and then when we come back, you know, European competition kicks in. Uh, I think round about the end of September, maybe early October. Um, you know the, the third round of the league cup kicks in, so there'll be, you know, midweek fixtures, and that's when I think you'll you'll start to see, well, squad rotation and players like Darwin come in. Um, I, I personally wouldn't go with the same team. I'd drop Endo in and, and, and I'd take Jota out and push Gapo forward. I just, yeah. I, I'm not sold on on Jota as as a starting number nine as such. Um in this in the way we play in the system we play like, I kinda of think he he can drift. Um and you know he he's probably the most natural instinctive finisher that we've got in the team. And I, I, I get the feeling he, he can watch games from the sideline from the subs bench and he, he can see things then that you you don't see when you're in a game because you're involved. You know, the game can be at 100 miles an hour and your decisions can be blared where I think if he's on the sideline, he can notice, you know, weaknesses, gaps. And when he comes on the sub, he's a lot more impactful. Um, and I don't think there's such a natural cohesion between, you know, Diaz, Jota and Salah because Jota does like to drift left as he was a previous, you know, winger as such in in his Wolves days and he has played on the left for us so I think sometimes you find he's sort of treading on the toes of Diaz and yeah. if Salah comes across the, the team can be ever so slightly lopsided but with Gakpo I think you, you get a natural dropping into that space and if Salah comes in and whatever it, it just seems a little bit more balanced but you know, each player's got the quality and, and Darwin brings a whole different, you know, aspect to the forward line and I think his time will come and with players like Alexis and like Dom, uh Sebastian, like you can can see a pass because with all due respect to the lad we've had lads we've had over the last couple of years, their natural instinct wasn't always to look for that forward pass. It was always to look for the the possession pass. Let's let's keep possession. Let's build. Let's not take too much of a risk. Where these lads will, and if forwards make runs, passes will come and goals will eventually come. I think the strike rate of Darwin when he gets you know chances, he does at the target a lot of the time. So, given the potential for more chances coming his way, then you then obviously 
like to think, you know, the goals also come hand in hand with that. And people will always have a bee in the bonnet, but if you look back through the, the history of Klopp, I think he always does start the season in the same way where he will use 11 to 14 players and that's it. Like obviously, we're allowed five subs this time, but he always does start the season with a roughly the same 11, maybe one change here and there if it's required. But he tends to always do this. And then when, you know, the, the cup games come in, that's when the rotation kicks in. So it's, you know, a, a bit of bit of calm, a bit of patience and a bit of understanding that this is just how things are and how we've operated. And, you know, there's, there's not a way we're going to change Klopp's mind on these things because that's just the way he is. He's set in his ways, rightly or wrongly. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much. I think everyone will get the chance and, and we'll see the best of Darwin probably, you know, in a few weeks' time when things settle into a more rhythm of free game, a game every three or four days. So I wouldn't worry. Yeah, and I think the other thing to do as well is to always, like, <clears throat> like when I, when I was watching football all those years ago, when a player had... had wasn't in the team for the next game it would be it would be said you know the play was dropped for this game you know maybe a striker hadn't scored in the last match he was dropped for the next match and that was probably true because it tended to be like rotation was something farmers did it wasn't something that happened in football nowadays you know if we do make changes at the weekend that's not necessarily any proof for anyone that Klopp's sick of someone or doesn't think someone's doing enough just like if a player's not in yet he's as you say, he's trying to plan for a whole season and he'll know which players are up for it, which players need to um, to, to be used more sparingly until they're brought into it. And as you say, he, he does tend to play with that sort of smaller pool of players, if you like, for the opening part of the season. Maybe just to get us all settled in and, and get players moving and get players hungry, the ones that aren't playing. And, you know, for the ones that do, remember, you know, reminding them that it might not last much longer. Um, just thinking as well on... Uh, at the weekend, the other sight that we saw was um, something we didn't think we would be seeing if you'd have asked us a few months ago, and that was um, the wonderful new Anfield Road stand, which will be great when it's finished, but it didn't look... Well, the bottom tier was open, but the top tier looked a long way off finished, and this now, because the builders um, that have been looking after it have announced that they're considering going into administration, um, it sounds like we've been left in limbo, according to Billy Hogan, we can't do anything about it because if if they did go into administration, we could probably say, right, we'll get a new company in. You know, we'll we'll bring someone else in to do it. Um, even if the admin, because even the administrators could do that, we could say to the administrators, we'll pay a bit of money early. You know, bring the lads in, whatever. There'd be something we could do. But according to Billy Hogan, we're kind of stuck in limbo because they're not they're not working on it because they're struggling for money and they're not in administration, so we can't kind of say uh, move on and. 50,000 or thereabouts looks like it's going to be the capacity for for now um, I'm surprised that it was so far off being ready anyway to be quite honest and I don't have a dig at the club because it is a massive massive project but I was genuinely surprised how far off it looked and, and maybe maybe it's cosmetic a lot of it but it did look a long way off being done Yeah I, I obviously had the, the pleasure to be at the game on Saturday and walking up to the ground um well, it, it, it's it's come a long way since my last game at Anfield um, yeah. at the back end of last season, but there was still evidence of structurally from the outside, you know, there was there was pieces missing, is probably the best way to describe it. 
Um, you know, like you look at maybe like the roof structure and stuff like that, you think, well, there's, there's gaps there, you know, like they could do with a bit of a, you know, a, a, bit, a bit of sheeting or a bit of bit of metal to go there because otherwise you're going to be getting a hell of a lot of water leaking in the winter months. But, you know, I'm sure this is all, you know, of note. And from from my position, um, looking from the cop down to the Anfield Road and the, the middle section, if you were to look behind the goal at the upper tier, was pretty much seated front to back. And then mm. there was a huge gap either side of that where there was a whole lot of seats missing. And then the back rows tended to be filled in with seats like side to side. So there's, I, I would guess, you know, the, the capacity at Anfield on, on Saturday was a shade under 50,000. And obviously that was the, the main stand, uh, the Sakeni and the copy and all four on the lower tier of um, the Anfield road. So, you know, we're probably 10,000, 11,000, give or take short on what the capacity um, is potentially going to be. Um, I would say you're probably touching two and a half to three thousand, maybe three and a half thousand seats missing to be installed alone. And then, you know, nobody actually knows what's going on behind that, you know, on the concourses, you know, the, 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 uh, there's going to be corpus hospitality seats in there. So we, Again, you would imagine those things are, are still yet to be installed, all the electrics, the water, you know, all the facilities. So you, this is all guesswork, you know, on, on what we think might not be ready yet. Um, yeah. But as Billy Hogan said, you know, we are in limbo. Like we don't really know, um, but we do need answers because they obviously had originally budgeted for that stand being fully open for the Bournemouth game. Then they had to re reassess and they said you know it was going to be a, a gradual phased opening but it would plan to be open by October so I think there was three or four home games where they were unsure on the capacity but it would be a game by game situation and they were hoping to you know allow an increased capacity across these games and his latest comments um, I think they were, they were out on Tuesday or Wednesday this week where the Aston Villa game will now go ahead with the same plan as Bournemouth. So, you know, it's going to be the lower tier so away fans can still travel and, and, and still come and support Villa. And we'll have, obviously, fans housed in the in the Anfield Road then. But it will be a reduced capacity and that is obviously going to have an impact on them um, on what their plans are, you know, financially for the club. And let's not delve into how, how our finances are, are dealt and, and dealed out. But, it's not ideal and we do need a solution one way or another because you know it's it's having an effect on the club financially but it's also having an effect on fans like um hello i'm here to annoy you i'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on epl index we don't just have the anfield index stuff we've got epl index as well which covers the entirety of the premier league And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable, 
there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm part of the cup scheme and my European Cup games, my tickets are scheduled to be in the upper tier of the Anfield Road stand. And as I look at it, will they ever be in there? If we are drawn next week in the Europa League and we've got a home game sometime in like the second or third week of September, I can't see my seat being ready in, in that stand. So, you know, there's a lot of obstacles and a lot of hurdles to negotiate for them. And yeah, it's it's not ideal. And I think the club is starting to say, well, we, we can only do so much, but it's then in the hands of the administrators of, of this business. And I, I guess it's it's all a waiting game. It's, it's, it's one of them things that I think it's probably being considered, but not probably factored in that this will come to reality. But here we are. Yeah, I mean, you'd hope there'd be some kind of insurance policy in place as well to sort of, you know, put some money to one side and, and invest in, in insurance policy to say if we're going to how much how much money we're going to lose on match day revenue over the course of this time if it's delayed, you know, and put some some sort of policy in place. So, so maybe there was, and maybe maybe the panic's not that great financially. And and the thing is as well, once it's once it is all done, once it is all open, um, this will all be forgotten. Um, and it's also interesting. I thought. I mean, whether he's just playing a PR game or whether it's a genuine thought, but in Billy Hogan's comments, he was talking about the jobs. You know, there's people who've, like, lost their jobs, basically, because of this, or they don't know what where they are with the jobs. You know, they were working on this project, and now they're not. They're not, you know, that company no longer seems to be um, paying them or whatever, and they've all walked off. There's no one working on it. You know, that 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 that's a worry, and I was glad glad to hear he was at least mindful of that. In his comments, and um, and as he said, when it does fully open, it's going to be uh, it's going to be creating another four hundred jobs, most of which are local, which again is good, um, and that again just sort of underlines the the impact this club has on this city because um, you know fans come from all around the world to see it, but you know it's it's embedded into what this city is. So um, that, that was that was a, that was a promising thing, and um, if you know we can be sort of hopeful that. Although, yeah, we have sort of times when we moan about our ownership and our executives and stuff like that. But, well, across the road, across the park, um, Everton, I mean, you you mentioned this to me, um, they seem to be um, going from bad to worse in terms of what's going on. I mean, the whole fairy tale of being taken over by the ex-Arsenal majority shareholder, whatever he was at the time, um, you know, and all the money that was going to come in, I mean, the money came, the money went, there was nothing to show for it. They've nearly been relegated twice. Um, obviously, things are in a mess. And now, um, MSP Sports Capital, who were going to take a minority stake in the club, and from all the talk coming out of the club, that was what was going to be um, going to be the thing that, that helped them, the thing that got them through this sort of hurdle because one of the backers unofficially was from Russia and so on and so forth. Um they were going to stick about 150 million quid in that would have been would have been debt but it would have been done in a way that was potentially sustainable for them they would have owned a quarter of the club um and a lot of it you know a big chunk of it went towards the stadium i mean i think 100 million pound of that was planned to go to the company everton have set up to build the stadium and well the deal's dead the exclusivity period they had is over um and there was a block from one of Everton's existing lenders called Rights and Media Funding Limited, who basically seemed to sort of 
if you like, maybe get in the way of it. I mean, we don't know the full ins and outs, but (laughs) without being sort of overly experts in sort of financial matters, you don't need to be to see that if they were relying on 150 million quid, two thirds of which was going to get them to build a stadium, the rest may be going to get them over until they got the new stadium. We thought they were in a mess, but I'm not laughing, even though I might sound like it. I mean, in some ways, it's it's funny in some ways because of the abuse we got off them when they started to think they had money, but um, this does look worrying. They must be panicking now. Yeah, I think shit got real when when they sort of dropped this news. Um, because yeah, they, you know, the, there's, there's no secret that they are under financial investigations for financial irregularities of not meeting the FFP standards over recent years and. Some clubs take it seriously. Some clubs, as we see with you know the likes of Chelsea, just don't give a shit and just do what they want and make up their own FFP rules. But Everton were or are currently under investigation um, with you know pending sanctions and there's pressing um, cases from I think Leeds and one of the other clubs who went down last season over. You know their their dealings. I think the year before Burnley were were asking questions um, as to you know where everything above board with Everton, um, and yeah, they were probably looking on banking this capital coming in and and sort of bailing them out as such um, because that that stadium's rumble not. Um, it, it's it's going to be impressive when it's done, but can they afford to get it done? Is the question, um, and this investment. And then leaves a question mark over, you know, potential financial breaches, which then, you know, leads to potential points deductions. Are they possibly going to consider administration, um, which again leads to a point deduction? And, you know, point deduction when you've already gotten zero points on the board from two games doesn't then look good for you in the long term of maintaining your place in the Premier League, which is where do you want to be because that's where the money is. And, you know, they're already struggling for money. It just seems to be a, a spiral and snowball effect. And if, if they went down, you know, which we've joked about, and, you know, like, it would be it'd be joyous on one respect, you know, considering, you know, the, the way some of their fans speak and treat, you know, Liverpool fans in the city and whatever you know it's it's concerning for them as a club um, it could be you know devastating long term effects if, if they are financially punished um, for what they've done in the past and then the future going forward isn't financially secure and then going out the division and knowing how much that actually hits a club it, it is it's a, it's a lot to be worried about, and you know we, we can laugh and joke as much as we want, but but this is a club in serious trouble because they've been seriously mismanaged financially, and you know we, we've seen what it can do to to clubs. You know, like you look at in years gone by, the likes of Sunderland who were financially mismanaged, and and they are now back in the Championship, but they spiraled into League One, and it took a lot for them to get back up into the Championship, and you know they were close last season, but. It's it, it it can turn from one season into two seasons into ten years and you know I think it was sixteen years lead throughout the Premier League and and they've gone back down again now and the questions will be asked as to whether they'll make it back up because they've had to basically have a fire sale and allow players to go because 
financial irregularities or constraints on them and it's it's the way the game's going. It, it it's sad because the big clubs who've got huge financial clout, one way or another, are, are pulling away, and we are we're hanging onto the coattails because of the way we're run financially. But it does it does make you worry about the, the future of the game because the the gap between the Premier League and the Championship and then League One and, and so on was getting bigger and bigger. But now the gap within the Premier League. Is becoming bigger because there's there's an elite few clubs owned and run by countries that are that are pulling away it seems and and, and we're in danger of, of being being left behind and then you think of you know we're, we're hanging on because we're such a big club but those clubs who are in the wrong end of the table you know the, the slide is getting very slippy for them and, and who knows where, where things end because this influx of of Saudi money is is only making it even bigger and you know you, you take it day by day and literally as we've been recording this there's there's rumours coming out that Saudi genuinely want to take Mo Salah and there's, there's talk of a 100-150 million pound bid for Mo Salah to go this window oh and 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 where does that leave us? I I would like to think we, we couldn't sell him you know we, we've got a handful of days. I think there's eight, eight days, seven days, or something left in the window. When I think hand on heart, we probably would think Mo Salah. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Biggest player in Arab football... You know, Saudi's making a huge push to, to, to progress their game. Mo Salah next summer would have a year left on his contract. I think that would be the time for everybody to maybe say, you know, if they can give us an extortionate amount of money, we, we'll have to look at cashing in, as great as he's been for us. But this summer, when we've not done everything we need, and to potentially lose our best player, no, it, it, it can't happen. No. But the Saudi windows open for two weeks after we close ours. Would it be a surprise if they actually come and push for this? I, I don't know. It, 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 it's genuinely worrying how how much influence they're having on the game and it's frightening what they could possibly do to us as a club and just cherry-pick our best player and leave us literally stranded where we are right now. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, governments aren't, aren't interested in in what's happening over there. They they sort of almost trying to get into bed with them and and, and be mates with them, um, rather than saying, "Look, 
you know, there's not just the cash side, there's the whole human rights stuff and all of the other complications with that, that that have people worried. And then just from the game's point of view, regardless of where the money comes from, it's just not, um, it's not being dealt with in an even-handed way. And um, my, my big thing with Salah, though, on that story is I'm just hopeful, and I might be wrong because I've been before, I'm hopeful that this is a little bit of a, um, just to see what the appetite is like, whether there's any chance of it. Um, not really a serious, necessarily a serious attempt, and that you know it'll all blow over because there is sort of um, an aspect of sort of showing an image of being um, ambitious, and maybe with a bit of luck, that's that's as far as it goes. That um, they know there's very little chance of getting him, but. The thing is, once you started to sow the seeds, they might not get him this window. They might not even get him in the winter window. But maybe next summer there will be there will be some interest. Just um, on the Everton thing as well, I did see that um, there's actually an article in the Athletic which goes into more detail. Um, Matt Slater, I think, has written it, and um, apparently the hundred million that was going to go to the to the stadium company that is still going to be provided by. Um, MSP Sports Capital, but it'll be just an out-and-out loan. So that that hundred million, they're already um, the 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 organisations that's kind of blocked the other deal. These um, rights and media funding limited. They've uh, apparently got a two hundred million pound loan with them, which they've just extended. And if I'm not mistaken, um, they they could well be one of the companies that where you sort of you get a loan against your future TV rights. So. You know, they've worked out how much money they're going to get from TV for the next hour of many years, and then they've taken out a loan that's secured against that. So basically, if they don't pay it, that company gets first, you know, just gets hold of all the TV money. But that's like so straight away, like three hundred million. Apparently, that'll help um, help um, Mashiri repay a forty million that he borrowed from an English businessman, Andy Bell, in May, which was meant to be a bridging loan for this MSP investment. Um, it just feels like they've just got all this debt and they've gone beyond the point where they've gone to the bank on the high street to get some sensible money. They've gone, you know, to sort of, you know, further away from that sort of that sort of world. They're on the sort of payday loan stage now. Um, before you know it, they're going to be down to loan sharks. I mean, it's worrying in, in lots of ways for them because it's not just about what's going on now and the dangers now. I mean, this feels like this is going to come and bite them on the arse and... Um, it's just mad, though, that we're talking about £150 million they were trying to borrow and what they're going to have to go through for it. And then the contrast with that and Saudi, who were just like, how much are they going to throw in for, for, for Mo Salah? It just, feels, it just feels wrong. And it just seems to be typical Everton that, you know, when they go looking for some rich suitor, they get the one that ends up being in, in bed with someone who gets sanctioned and all the rest of it. Um, it's just Everton, isn't it? Yeah, you know, will, will the stadium be be called the Klarna Everton Stadium <laughs> uh, or the PayPal Everton Stadium or something like that? Um, you know, pay, PayPal maybe because they're they're blue in colour. You know, they can't have anything pink or red because you know maybe it's too close to Liverpool if they had Klarna. But it it doesn't look like a business that's been running, that's been operated and run very smartly, does it? If you if you're getting you know, in effect, payday loans to to cover you, um, to get your your stadium over the line, and then you know, if they're not in the Premier League, you know, I think that stadium is due to be built and ready for next season. If they, you know, face the points deduction, face relegation, was down in the Championship, um, you know, they're currently charging fifty five quid a ticket. Yeah, uh, there was a there was a table put out today and. 
you know, Liverpool top the table as having tickets available for £9. Now, if you get a £9 ticket, you've basically got a golden ticket out of a Billy Wonka chocolate bar because they're that hard to come by. You have to come on your unicorn um, to get in as well, don't you? Oh, yeah. You, you, you know, you, <laughs> you basically you need a letter from God to get one of these £9 tickets and, you know, Robbie Fowler isn't going to dish out letters <laughs> that, that freely. But, um, you know, they are available. You know, it's it's all a fudge in terms of statistics, but they're there to be had. Um, but apparently, if you wanted to roll up at Everton and pick up a, a ticket for the game, then any part of the ground, the cheapest ticket you can get older is 55 quid, which is daylight robbery for the football that they play. And that's the cheapest um, ticket as well, isn't it? I mean, that is like the starting point. Yeah, that's that's the baseline point. That, that's more expensive than Man City um, and Newcastle. We were asking for 44 quid a ticket and... You know, Man City. You know, if if you were rocking up at the Etihad, you know, the chances are you'll get a ticket on the day anyway because it's always never full. Um, but you know, at least you're guaranteed to, to see decent football. You know, like, you know, as much as you can have a little sly dig at Man City and and what they do, but what they play can be robotic. But you know, aesthetically, it can be good football if you're interested in that. And Newcastle. You know, a city where you're obviously a frequent visitor at times, you know, passionate about the football, very similar to us as people, but what they've done in the last 18 months in, in their investments has, has catapulted them into heights where, you know, there's a lot of a lot of good feeling around the club and around the stadium, I'm sure. When we go there at the weekend, there'll be a lot of a lot of passion, a lot of noise and, you know, 44 quid there asking for the ticket. It's it's still a lot of money, but yeah, whenever they're asking for fifty-five quid, it, it does seem like you know they're pulling your pants down and smacking you in the face at the same time. Um, are they going to be able to charge them prices if they were going down to the championship? Absolutely not, because if they are, they're not filling the stadium. Um, and all these loans they're going to have to going to be like you know, robbing from Peter to pay Paul as such, and you know if they are down there they're going to be in a hell of a lot of financial trouble because they, they're going to know money out left, right and centre and they're just not going to be able to do it. It's 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 cause for concern and, you know, sometimes we think our problems at our club and the way we're ran, you know, can rile a lot of people and, you know, ruffle the feathers in the wrong ways but we've only got to always look across the park and say, you know, things could be a hell of a lot worse and for them it really genuinely is and what the future holds, who knows? And you know, they could be looking at you know a very long hard season. Yeah, and I think um, if that twenty five percent of the club for one hundred and fifty million is what the club's valued at, quick bit of math, six hundred million is what they're saying the club's worth, which sounds like a lot of money compared to what um, what FSG paid for Liverpool. But football clubs are worth a hell of a lot more now. But six hundred million when you've already got a two hundred million loan, you want another hundred million loan. You were trying to get another fifty million on top of that, and there's probably more money being borrowed. Um, you know, you've you got you've got so much debt that's you know where, where's there's hardly anything left. And I think um, when we talk about Sunderland and and I mean, Man City are a better example in some ways of a club who went down a couple of divisions and then recovered. Someone came in and bought them, and then someone else came in and bought it off him. Um, the thing is, they weren't sort of plagued with debt they had a new stadium and all the rest of it and um even though it was wealthy people who bought them there was still some um you know there was a there was a good business case as well in a way to to get them even if we're not happy with the way they do business you know i'm sure 
any businessman out the cash would have looked at and thought, hang on, yeah, there's a way to way to do something here. Um, fair enough, they've they've overspent and maybe cancelled out all the good business sense in that way. But that's that's for another day. It's just it just feels like it's it's dire for them. Um, yeah, we'll. I mean, just quickly on, from us as well on signings. I just think um, I was hoping this week we might have some movement, but it looks like um, we're doing well on the young end of things. We've got. Um, Two new 16-year-olds have signed Trey Nayoni, a midfielder from Leicester, and Amaro Nalo, a centre-back from West Ham. Um, it's not long ago we signed a central defender, Harvey Owen, from Wolves. Apparently that deal was um, could have been around, was worth about £800,000 if you, you know, if he fulfills all the, all the potential and all the rest of it. That's what we could end up paying. Um, and, of course, we're having to do this because since Brexit we can't get players from overseas who are under 18 um, Stefan Batishik was the last one actually um, and so this is how we've got the likes of uh, say Ben Doke, Bobby Clark, Heidi Gordon um, and others um, so at least we're good on that side but you know I would have liked to have maybe made some more signings for this weekend but Newcastle is um, a club that um, I've got a lot of time for that club I always have had um, I like the people up there and I like um, the sense of humour and all the rest of it they, they seem good people at the minute you know, they're a bit sort of swayed by all the Saudi stuff. But um, when it comes down to the game itself, um, it's going to be interesting, I think. Uh, the manager is one of these managers who is one of the media darlings, isn't he? You know, the next big future England boss one day, that kind of category. But I don't know, he's he's good. He's not a bad manager. I'm not saying that by any means, but I, surely we've got the measure of him, haven't we? I mean, we did it last year twice. Surely we can... Um, we can... We, we can show them, you know, put them back in the place if you like and they can't use one of the big weapons they tried last year because time wasting doesn't quite work anymore does it? Not that it did last year for them No, we come back to bite them in the arse uh, ever so sharply didn't it I feel <laughs> um, I remember watching the the, the away game um, I was out in, in in Liverpool, we call it town don't we, I was out in town yeah. watching it um, and I'll be honest, I had a negative feeling about the game thinking, you know what, they were they were playing well. Um they were tight in the back, but Darwin played I think, that day. I think he got a couple. Um and we, we sort of put them to bed. Nick Pope thought he could, you know, superman the ball forty yards from goal and, you know, forget that, you know, keepers can only handle it in the box and whatever. Yeah. Um and it was a it was a pleasantly surprising result, but I think you know the the, the the game is a super Sunday. It's four thirty for the reason. It won't be a nil nil draw. I'm not putting the dampness on that. I'm hoping it isn't anyway. Um, but Liverpool Newcastle games historically always tend to be lively and the mm-hmm. goals involved. And I think the way we are playing defensively at the moment, it does leave us vulnerably open. But um, as we referenced earlier, the midfield should hopefully you know had a week to work on things. If Endo does start and we can push Gakpo into a more natural position. Um, whether Gakbo starts, of course, that is. Um, we've got options. We've got Jota, we've got Darwin, uh, who scored, as we said, last year there. So the the potential's there to cause them problems. Um, I didn't see any of their games thus far this season, so I couldn't tell you how they're playing. Um, but it it should be lively. Um, you know, a positive result, and a positive result can be anything from just not actually losing. A draw wouldn't be the worst results considering the progress they've made over the last 18 months but again I think we are man for man 11 to 11 better than them so 
a win would be lovely. Um, and yet the, the media darling Eddie Howe being allowed <laughs> to eat his words would be would be glorious to see. And you know, if we're sat here next week talking about a, a victory and seven points on the board, then I think we'll be more than happy with where we are. You know, in terms of points progression, transfers would be nice if we can sort someone else, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be, but I just don't. I don't know. I've, I wouldn't hold your breath, is what I'm saying. Um, but you know, mate, strange things have happened. By the time this podcast comes out, maybe, maybe we'll have got someone. Um, are you feeling prediction wise? You think? Um, I'll go first. Maybe I don't think it'll be another four three, um, but I think it could be a three two for us. Uh, I'm going to say we we do we do what we did to Bournemouth. And we'll, we'll have a three one. Uh, clean sheets on our forte. At the yeah. moment, as, as good as Allison is, I think all he's doing is keeping the score line down. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to say three-one. Um, you know, our firepower is better than theirs, and okay, defensively they might have been better than us in recent times. But I'm I'm hoping that a bit more balance to the team will, would hopefully lead to a more balanced result. And yeah, three points in however they come is just all I'm after. Yeah, that'll do, won't it? I mean, that's right. I mean, end of the season, if you've had had enough of the three points, then goal difference doesn't matter. And, um, you know, the TV cameras will always keep coming back to this game because there have been so many amazing matches. But we have probably put, like, the mockers on it now and it's going to be um, a miserable game that, that, with a bit of luck, we still edge, you know. And again, that would still be three points. Um, But, yeah, something to look forward to anyway. And next time we're back, no doubt we'll go over that. And anything else that's happened, maybe there will be more and more signings for us to talk about. Maybe there'll be more um, goings on with the the stand. Maybe we'll have some news on that and on the progress of that. And as always, there's bound to be something that we can laugh at with that lot from across the park because they always give us something or other, don't they? Um, But for now, that is it from us. Thanks to Jay. Thanks to you for listening, as always. Um, But until next time, that's all. And we'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.